0: Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you need additional help on how to do that, we have a Next Steps page on our website that you can check out. Also, if you haven't been able to attend a service at any one of our campuses recently and participate in the time of giving, you can give anytime you want online by visiting our Give page or by texting to give. We hope that God speaks to you in this sermon. Take care. So um, our God wants us to love him with all our hearts. The first group of people to hear about that were these, this group of rescued slaves out of Egypt. Um, they had been slaves for 400 years, and they had been not serving Egyptian gods, but they didn't know our God. Our God hadn't... Uh, hadn't been very active in their lives. And, and Moses runs into him out in the wilderness and God sends him back. And he says, well, who, who are you? And, 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 and God says, my name is I Exist. That's a cool name. Uh, I am, that's my name. And uh, Moses is like, all right, and what should I do? He goes, I want you to go back to Pharaoh and I want you to just say, let these people go. And Moses and Aaron go back to Pharaoh and they march into the palace there where Pharaoh had lived 40 years previous or where Moses had lived 40 years previous. And he says, our God says, let his people go. And Pharaoh says, why would I do that? Your God is powerless before me. So our God, (laughs) the I am, the I exist, basically in a 10-round smackdown with Pharaoh that ended up with Pharaoh drowning in the Red Sea, rescued the people. And they're on the other side of the Red Sea, they're headed in the wilderness. So he's proved himself to be a rescuing God, all-powerful. And then he proves himself to be a providing God. He provides them water, where, you know in the wilderness, he provides them manna to eat, Uh, and uh, so he's a providing God. And then they arrive at Mount Sinai, and Sinai, is rocking, it's smoking, it's, 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 there's, there's, it's noisy. And Moses says, do, do not touch that mountain. That's where God is right now. And the people are like, don't worry, we weren't thinking about touching it. And they go, he, they go. what are you gonna do? He goes, I'm gonna go up there by myself. And when I come back, I'm gonna tell you what God wants from, from all of us as we, we set the boundaries for this new nation so he's gone a long time, and when he came back, they said, okay, what, what, is, what does he want? And Moses said, well, he wants you to love him. They're like, what? He wants to be loved. He wants to be your one and only God, and he wants to be loved. And, 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 and I'm sure they were, they were just like, how in the world do you love a God? I mean, I mean, they had felt his, his rescue and his protection and his power, but the thought of, you know, like, what do we do? We crawl into his lap and give him a hug? I mean, how, how, how do, what? And that really is astounding. Even to this day, as we think about it, we have this God who, who craves our love. It wasn't long before um, God's exact words had become the Jews' most repeated scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four and five. Hear, O Israel. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God is one God, and he wants to be loved with everything that we are. This is the most quoted verse in all of Judaism, uh, known to this day as the Shema, the Shema. It's the Our Father of Judaism. Um, The Lord's Prayer of Judaism. And the reason the Our Father is called, why is the Our Father called the Our Father? Because it's the first word of the prayer. Say the Our Father with me. Stop. (laughs) So the Shema is exactly like that. The Shema is a Hebrew, and it means hear, hear, O Israel. It means listen. It means like really listen. It's like when your parent is talking to a child. Are you listening? Listen up. The Lord our God is one God. Love him with, with all your heart. You know, an observant Jew recites Shema twice a day. And when you do it, you cover your eyes um, as if you have returned to Sinai and you just can't look. But you can hear. Or as if uh, you, you're not to let yourself be distracted by uh, any other thing as you enthusiastically pray uh, Shema. Uh, and I love this little guy. He's, he's, he's praying enthusiastically, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so that's not part of the Shema. Jesus comes along, and as we learned last weekend, uh, this, uh, this scholar comes up to him and he's listening to the give and take, and some of the give and take is a little hostile. These, these guys are peppering Jesus with questions to try to, Put him into a box, you know, because if you can put a leader into a box, then you can attack from outside the box. And, uh, and Jesus refuses to be categorized. And uh, so the, this guy is not hostile. He's like, he, he really likes the answers that this Galilean rabbi is, is coming up with. And he says, well, I, I have a question. Rabbi, in your opinion, what is the greatest command? We have 613 commands. Uh, what, what do you think is the... The supreme command. And Jesus doesn't mean to m- miss a beat. He just says the Shema. Uh, love the Lord your God. And, but then he says, But the other greatest command, which we'll get to in about a month, uh, is love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Very simple. Very simple religion, Christianity. Very simple. Now it doesn't, simple and easy are two different words. But uh, simple. And, you know, it's not easy. I don't think the majority of people who see themselves as Christians today are even coming close to loving the Lord with all their heart or loving their neighbor as much as they love themselves. And it's not because they don't want to. It's just, it's really hard. And we don't know exactly know how. Uh, how do you love God like he wants to be loved? And how do you love God with all your heart? Now, have you ever loved someone with all your heart? Yes or no? I mean, if you're sitting by your spouse, you you needed to have said, oh, I still do, Pastor, I still do. All right. Have you ever been loved by someone where you know they love you with all their heart? You know, that was my experience. Um, And I just immediately thought of Brenda. When she walked down that aisle toward me, uh, 1980, August 16th, Placerville, California, Federated Church, I knew she loved me with all her heart. And that was awesome. Uh, It was just the greatest feeling to be loved like that because I'm somewhat flawed. (laughs) Yeah, and honestly, she had loved me with all her heart um, for years. And at first, I mean, we were teenagers when she looked me in the eyes and said, I, I love you so much. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, I was nowhere near mature enough or ready enough to, because I knew, I, my parents had a good marriage. And so it was like, you know, we're not there, I'm not there. And she was, and just loved me so much. And and at first it's really cool, you know, she loves me so much, but then you're supposed to return that love, and that was what I found. But we walked down the aisle, and even on the day we were married, I don't don't know that I loved her with all my heart. I had these really warm, wonderful feelings, but it was years before. And then I don't know when I matured into that, but of, of course... It just came where I just love her with all my heart. I still do, we just did our 38th anniversary at one of our favorite places on earth, the Snake River, uh, Jackson, Wyoming, looking at the Tetons. And um, very romantic, actually, It's beautiful. But uh, to love her with all my heart. A few years after we were married then, we started having kids, and Andrew was born, and I discovered a new love, the love of a father for a child. And what was interesting with that love is with Brenda, it had to grow on me and over years and years with Andrew, it was immediate. I mean, we're in that hospital and I'm holding my son in my arms and my love for him was immediate and with all my heart. To the point that I I remember even thinking when Brenda was pregnant with Kevin, this is dangerous because I I won't be able to love this second child as much as I love this little guy. And then Kevin is born and I'm like, Okay, Andrew, be quiet, I'm holding my. Because <laughs> I loved him with all my heart. Later, it occurred to me that God uses this, this to describe how he feels about us. The love of a father for a child, the love of a husband for a wife. God speaks to the prophet Isaiah and says, as a bridegroom re- rejoices over a bride, that's how I feel about you. David writes in Psalm 103, as the father has compassion, On his children, the Lord has compassion on you. The Apostle John says it was his idea first. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us. So when we are finally loving him with all of our hearts, all we're doing is returning his love for us, which is with all of his heart. The relationship is his idea. He's the initiator. He's the pursuer. He's actually the one who teaches us how to love just by by loving us. God's crazy about you. Turn to your neighbor and just tell him, God's crazy about me. You are possibly his favorite. Have you ever had a friend who just had their first child and they just won't stop with the snaps and the videos and you, you're tempted to unfriend them because all the pictures are the same. It's like you just sent me a picture of that kid 45 minutes ago and it's the same. You just sent me a video that's an average-looking child doing average-looking things. <laughs> and you, they're like, you would never say that to them. But because they, they just feel like you have got to see the latest video of what they just did. They are taking a bath. <laughs> and look at what they're, they're just going, they're making that noise they always make. But that parent loves that kid with all their heart. Now, for those of us that have been raised by fathers who loved us like that, this is not an, a, a difficult jump to think that God could love us that way. But I've, I've heard stories of some of, of some of your stories about, you didn't have a dad like I had. I have a friend who told me the other day that he only remembers one time in his life where his dad touched him with affection. And he, he described the moment as if he was right there. He said, oh, we were watching TV and he reached his arm around, and he drew me in, and I was sitting there like going, what is this? Don't move, this is awesome. Because he says, the only time my dad would ever touch me was to slap me. He said, I avoided my dad. I mean, I've been blessed to receive Brenda's love, but some of you, when I talk about God loves you like a husband loves you, you're like, ah. Could you get another metaphor going there, Pastor? (laughs) My husband abandoned me. He belittled me, he abused me, and then he left. But you know, we have to let God be the loving father, even if we never had one. We have to let God be that loving um, husband, even though we don't know what that feels like. And then we don't trust it, because that's who he is is he has to redefine the image for us so let me let me tell you <clears throat> about his never-ending and deep love for you uh, when I pondered his love different words come to my mind uh, the first word was amazingly patience patience um, the love of God is just so patient uh, he's been so patient with me he's been so patient with you um, and that's a wonderful quality in someone that's loving you. You know, God, even, even when the children of Israel, when he finally just said, that's it, I've had it, it was after centuries of patience. And, and, and even then, when he did discipline them, before they went into captivity, he said, oh, Jeremiah, be sure and tell them, you know, this isn't forever, and I'm not abandoning them, I'm just disciplining them, and they're just going into the penalty box, and they'll be back out, and, and, and things are gonna be great. It was like God was desperate for his people to know That along with the discipline, the love didn't end. He's patient. When I think about his love for us, I think about the words grace and mercy, and uh, he's so gracious and so merciful. You know, I think about those that first couple, Adam and Eve, and who just squandered it all. And what they did, the decisions they made, just wrecked everything for God. God had this image of like, you know, I'm gonna go down every day, and we're gonna have it in the afternoon, we're gonna walk around, we're gonna talk, we're gonna, it's gonna be great. And they just, they just threw all that in the trash. And yet, his grace and mercy wouldn't allow him to do what he said he was gonna do. Remember what he said he was gonna do? He said, if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. But then they ate from the tree, and guess what they surely didn't do? because he just couldn't. He couldn't bring himself to do it because his grace and his mercy, uh, he still loved them. So he still provided for these rebellious brats even though they had failed him so miserably. His love for us doesn't end in our rebellion. When I think about his love for us, I'm reminded that it never changes. That's what Jeremiah said to them uh, as they went into captivity. I have loved you with everlasting love, God says. I have drawn you with loving kindness. And this may also be, to think about love being never ending may be difficult because you may have had someone in your life that once said they loved you and now they say they don't love you. Um, I have a friend whose wife says, I never loved you. Was part of the divorce. That was her big way to hurt him. She said, "I never loved. I never loved you." And I told him, "I go, what a lie! She's lying to herself. She's lying to you. When she walked down that aisle, she loved you, or she wouldn't have done it." Nah, I didn't love him. Yeah. So for that guy to think of God's love as something he could trust that would never end, he has work to do to think that there really is never anything he will ever do that will stop God from loving him. And of course, as we're exploring today, not only does God tell us how much he loves us, he's clear with us in scripture how he wants to be loved. He tells us what is his love language. All right, so if you're taking notes, I'm gonna give you three things, and it's three things I want you to do your best to remember. Because these are action steps for how to love God with all your heart. God says, I want you to love me with all your heart. You say, how? Let me give you some things that he says in scripture for how to love him with all your heart. You got the first one right there. What does it say? Yeah. He wants to be your one and only. He knows that we don't do well dividing our time between gods. And he doesn't do well with that either. He even refers to himself as a jealous God, the sin, that to bother, the sin that seems to bother him the most is the sin of idolatry, where something visible or invisible becomes something that, that takes our attention away from him and he wanted to be our one and only. When I love him with all my heart, I love him as a one and only. No idols, nothing visible, nothing invisible that draws my attention away from him. Uh, and if you wonder, if you have any idols, you can just ask him because he's really, he'd be really quick to start pointing those things out to you. Now, once he points them out to you, you have a decision to make, because if, if you didn't love it so much, it wouldn't be an idol. So he'll say, I'll tell you what an idol is, what your idol is, and you're like, I don't have any. He goes, yeah, your career is your idol. What? Yeah, that's your idol. You think about your career way more than you think about me. Well, what? Yeah. Your, your material possessions are your idol. That's why it's so hard for you to be generous because that's your God. Why would you give away pieces of your God? And boy, when God starts poking us in that way, we don't necessarily like it. You know, you can pray this really noble prayer in church, go, God, just reveal my idols to me, and then he does, and you're like, oh, well, not that. (laughs) But see, he even says, don't come and worship me with things in your hands. Don't, don't turn and worship me after you worship this other thing. Or... No, we worship him after he has cleaned our hands and we raise those hands. Clean hands, purified hands. The Bible says raising holy hands. Holy, set apart just for him. Do you know what your idols are? Do you know what they have been? Do you know what they are now? You know, maybe this would be a good subject of conversation. It's one of the reasons we have community groups so we can... Get into each other's stuff. And that's one reason people avoid community groups, too. (laughs) But we get into each other's stuff and we talk about that. It turns out to be a really good process. And one of the things you could do is you could go to your community group and say, well, Pastor Steve, you're talking about idols. Does anyone want to know? Does everyone in this room know what theirs are? Because we could have a conversation. I could tell you what mine have been. And then you could have this really great conversation where we identify and then agree to destroy... Our idols. When we destroy our idols, we are loving God with all our hearts because, what was the first one? He wants to be our one and only God. Secondly, he's after a relationship with you, not a transaction. He's not selling fire insurance. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He's more than someone you confess your sins to, more than someone you ask to provide for you, more than someone you turn to every time you get in a bind. I mean, he's all of those things. He's just more than those things. He wants to be your friend. Your friend. When I love him with all my heart, he's my friend. And when someone's my dear friend, I don't find it a chore to think about him or talk to him or talk about him or spend time with him. As a matter of fact, the amount of time you don't spend with God in a 24-hour period is proving that you really don't love him with all your heart. If I love him with all my heart, I talk to him all day. It's interesting because since I've been pondering this, I've been kind of tracking, when is the first time in a day I talked to God? I can actually tell you, because I'll look at the clock. The first time today I spoke to God was at 8.45 this morning, 15 minutes before the service started. I had not spoken to God yet. Now I'm not saying that to feel guilty or whatever. I'm just saying that now I'm tracking it. So then I talked to him again while we were worshiping. and I didn't just sing the songs, I actually talked to him. So I've actually talked to God now twice this morning. And I'll I'll, I'll talk to him again soon because I want he and I to be friends. It's so much more than me just starting the day, reading a page in a devotional, saying a prayer, and then getting on with my day. It's him taking me through my day and making it his day too. You're like, well, God, don't you have anything better to do than to be with me? He's like, no, I love you with all my heart. Why, Why would I not want to be with you? I'm into this for the relationship. That's why Jesus came instead of God just sending a book And when he came, he stayed for 33 years instead of a 33 minute transaction where he forgave us of our sins and died on a cross. No, he came to live with us. Why? He just wanted to hang out with us knuckleheads and and, and, and be human. That's powerful. So what are the first two things? He wants to be your... And then he also is after a... Oh, you're getting it. You're gonna remember this. If I run into you Wednesday, I'll bet you'll remember this. What's the third one? The third one is this. He wants you to trust him, he wants you to obey him. That's actually three and four, but I thought you could only remember three things, so I lumped (laughs) them together. Plus, they also kind of go together. The old saints used to sing a song, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know, those old songs are simple for a reason. You can remember them, and they were onto something. Trust and obedience go hand in hand. And you know what, when we don't trust God, it hurts his feelings. Ask any dad, when you actually know how to do something, and your kid needs to learn how to do something, and you try to teach them how to do something, but after you go to the trouble of teaching them how to do something, they Google it anyway. You're like, well, why was I even helping you? Well, I was just, you know, I was just, you know, no, you know, trust me. And it hurts your feelings. It's not that you're mad, it's that you're hurt. And when they don't obey you, you're actually more hurt than mad. Because those rules you set, you didn't just set those because you like setting rules or enforcing them because that's a pain in the butt. Parenting is hard. So you didn't just set a bunch of rules because you love them. You set rules because that's like a guardrail on a mountain pass. You want your kid to thrive, but to, <laughs> you can't jump the guardrail. And that's how God is with us. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to obey him. And nothing says I love you to God more than trusting and obeying. All right, let's review. What's the first one? He wants to be your? Secondly, he's after a? Third, he wants you to? Oh, you got it. You got it. So here's the deal. You say, oh, how do I love the Lord God with all my heart? I just gave you an assignment that'll take you between now and Christmas to even just barely dip your toes into to say, God, I, I want to love you with all my heart. How am I gonna do that? He says, well, let's talk about the idols in your life and let's make me your one and only. That's gonna take a while. Then, while we're doing that, uh, let's, let's make sure we talk a lot during the day. Let's have a relationship. And then as we're doing that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you instructions in scripture and even just in things people show you and even just, I'm just gonna tell you in your brain. But I want you to trust what you're hearing and I want you to obey my voice the first time I said it because delayed obedience is disobedience. So I want you to stop delaying obedience and then I am going to feel loved. All right, let's change the let's kind of shift gears a little bit because there are these seasons in our life where even though we're actually doing all those things we feel far from God. Have you ever felt far from God? I mean, there's even people who came to church today because you feel far from God. And there's, there, are, there are things that happen in life that are normal things, usually not such good things, that cause us to feel far from God. Let's address some of those things. Uh, I have a friend whose mother uh, passed away a few months ago. And we were talking about this sermon. He goes, well, you know, I, I am just now starting to feel a little bit closer to God since my mom passed. And I go, really, What happened? And he said, well, while she was sick, I was very close to God. I was talking to him all day. I was was sure that God was going to heal her. And he said, I had a confidence about that. And he goes, and then she died. And he goes, immediately, this curtain came down between me and God. Because he said, I was confused. I was angry. I was disappointed. And, you know, he still loves the Lord with all his heart. But he just had this... Something happened, this, this distance between them. You know, my son Kevin talks about this in his, in his life. I think you heard Kevin the other day uh, speaking, and he talks about a season in his life, and I walked with Kevin through this season. You know, he had grown up kind of in the bubble, a uh, Christian bubble of our home, and, and so, uh, and then he went to another country, and he spent the summer, and he saw poverty that he'd never seen before. And instead of it causing him to wanna get busy and help, it caused him to just sit back and be mad at God. Like, that's not fair. This isn't fair. And then shortly after that, he got involved with an organization that, that goes right after children that have been trafficked for sex. And then that threw him for a loop. Like, how could God not protect these children? What kind of God is that? And man, I, I sat with Kevin in church. I, I, I remember sitting with Kevin in church, just glad he was in church. Because I was wondering if he was going to give up on our, our family's God and go out and try to find a different one. Or none at all. And we would sing, you know, you're a good, good father. And Kevin's body would just stiffen, and he would just, um, and he would just stand tall, like almost like I'm rebelling against you. You're not a good, good father. You're a terrible father. And these people are deluded. They're singing about how good you are. You're not good. And he came through it. Fortunately, um, God stayed very close to him during the season. And, and let, let, let's make that point. So, if you feel got far from God, that's fine. But He's not far from you. You're, you're just far from him. Your broken heart has created a boundary, you know, but, but, but uh, David writes in the Psalms, he's still close to, to the brokenhearted. He's especially close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Last night I was preaching this and I looked down about the fifth row, there was a woman that started weeping when I, she read the scripture. I knew something was up. She came to me after the service. She said, my 19-year-old son died three weeks ago. I'm crushed. He took me with him. I'm dead, she said. I'm brokenhearted. I go, yeah, but you're here. She goes, yeah, that's about all I can say. I'm here. They're so... (laughs) I mean, I didn't have any easy words for her because she's basically been ripped off and God allowed it. She said, I don't even know if he's in heaven. I go, well, let's not worry about that. Let's, let's get you and God talking again. We just stood there, and we both cried. Jesus was close, his broken hearted, crushed in spirit. Maybe you've been crushed in spirit. Hmm. Maybe that's the only part of this sermon that you're supposed to hear today, that he's still close to you even though he allowed you to be brokenhearted. Maybe even right now you want to whisper to him, that's me. I'm crushed, broken. Now there's other times we feel far from God because we're rebelling from God and we're doing things either secretly or publicly that we know are not are on the naughty list. And you know you're like, yeah, but I love you, Lord. And he's like, no, we're not doing that today. We gotta go back to your behaviors. Oh, but I love you. No. What kind of a father would allow that? You need to repent. And that's why you feel far from God. And you're like, well, I just don't feel as close to God as I used to. Well, I wonder why. Uh, And I think some of us need to evaluate even what has crept back into our lives. That at one point we said, that's a behavior I'm not gonna do. And that's why you feel far from God. It's just that. Hmm. Maybe you're far from God because you stopped doing what Solomon says, guarding your heart. Guarding your heart. Your heart needs to be guarded, you know. Uh, Here's how he says it. Guard your heart above all else. Because it is the wellspring of life. Now, the word wellspring is not one we use that often, so it's something we need to think about. And it's hard for us to think about because it's about water flowing. And, and, and in our houses, water flows through our house. We have all these different places where you can go in the house to get water, but it didn't used to be that way. It used to be you would go out to the well and actually you wouldn't even build a house until there was either a well or a river nearby because you're not gonna be able to survive. And so you, you dig a well and you go, okay, we'll, and we'll build the house right over there. And then you would come out and get the water and 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 but you have to guard that well because uh things can fall into it, uh it can collapse, it can uh and, and 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 Solomon says your heart's like that. You have to guard your heart as if as if it's a really important source of everything that you say and do. Neglecting your heart leaves it vulnerable. And uh and if you're gonna be and if you're gonna try to love the Lord your God with all your heart, you gotta keep that heart. Healthy. Now, more on that next weekend because we're going to talk about soul care, and one of the reasons people have such a dysfunctional relationship with God is because their own soul is not in good shape. And we'll, but we'll talk about loving God with all our soul next weekend. And and, and I think the last thing I want to say is is one of the the the, the ways that you, you maybe even you used to love the Lord with all your heart, but now you don't, is that you've just gotten distracted. And I have a friend, and. Uh, he used to wear a rubber band around his wrist. And it was the funniest thing, because you, you know, I thought, well, is that a fashion statement? Because, I don't know, it just looks like you're a vegetable. You know, at the store, I mean, it's a big, it was one of the rubber bands that comes around broccoli. And I was just like, and he goes, no, 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 this is very practical. He goes, watch, and he snapped his own rubber band. I go, why'd you do that? He goes, Oh, I do it all the time. I go, you're weird. And he says, no, I do it when I'm thinking, when was the last time I talked to God? I look down at that rubber band and I go, I haven't talked to God all day. And he goes, I go, snap! (laughs) And I'm all, are you Catholic at all? (laughs) I mean, Protestants feel far from God and they blame God. Catholics feel far from God and they're like, (laughs) That's weird. (laughs) Anyway. He goes, yeah. And and then while it's stinging, I go, hey, God, I just realized I hadn't talked to you for like 24 hours. And he said, I did that. And the more I would do it, it got to the point where I could just look at it. And I would go, hey, God. And he goes, and I go, and that's what you want to do? He goes, yeah. He goes, I never want to go back to that thing where I say I'm a Christian, but I don't talk to God. I say I'm a Christian, but I don't talk about God. You know, people that are in love, they talk about the the person they're in love with. I mean, it can be annoying. Have you ever been around someone that's engaged and they just got engaged? And and even though the the diamond is heavier than, their their hand just floats around. And you're like, oh, here she goes again. And you're just like, oh, can we talk about something else? Why is she doing that? Because that's all she wants to talk about. That's loving with all your heart. But how many times have I been around Christians who you can't get them to talk about God. You even tried to. I was at dinner with some folks, and all night long I just realized, you know, we're all Christians here, and none of us are talking about God. So I just kind of, you know, awkwardly just brought up something about the Lord or whatever, and they all kind of just the t- table just kind of went silent. And then like, oh, he's being Pastor Steve, you know, so they kind of humored me a little bit. And then just shortly after that, the conversation went back to the other. Stuff. And so I did it again. And I just you know, isn't God good? And you know, blah, blah, blah. And they were just like, why didn't we invite him again? <laughs> These are so-called Christian people. But do they love the Lord with all their heart? No. I'm not judging them. I just think the evidence is just compelling that maybe they used to love the Lord their God with all their heart. But now they're on to other things and and loving the Lord your God with all your heart is different than loving being a Christian you could love doing Christian things and not doing non-Christian things and you could love hanging out with Christian people but still not love the Lord you could even love all the things that God is doing in you but still you talk about yourself all the time Loving the Lord your God with all your heart is as simple as it sounds. And you, got, you can't love someone you don't know. You know, Jesus tells this haunting story about the end times where there's this banquet and he's standing at the doorway, you know, admitting who's supposed to be invited to this banquet and these people come up and they're going, hey, there's Jesus over there, let's go talk to him. And they go over, hey Jesus, and he's like, you are, wait, who are you? And they're like, Jesus. Are you kidding? We did all these things while we were alive. We did them all in your name. He's like, ah, yeah. Hmm. I, I don't think I know you. You're going to have to go. God wants to have your heart. He wants, he wants you to give him your heart. Your heart. He doesn't want you to give him your behaviors. He wants you to give him your heart, and the rewards are great. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes it's, it's completely different than what we have been doing, or sometimes it's, it's going back to that. Do you remember when you first gave your heart to Jesus? Do you remember that, that initial few days after that? And uh, some of us have had dramatic conversions. And do you remember how you felt and what you thought, and you woke up in the middle of the night, and you're like, he's right here, I wanna to talk to him. And what happened to that person? You know, you can get that person back, but it's gonna take some work. It's like a marriage that has just faded off. You can get that back, but it's gonna take some work. Because it's not a feeling anymore, as much as it is activity where we say, you know what, I am not gonna settle for this relationship with God for the rest of my life. I can't imagine I, it's, there's gotta be more than this. And so you start doing those three things. And what are those three things? He wants to be your one and only. He's after a, and he wants you to. Did you know that if you spent that between now and Christmas uh, on that, you would have the most meaningful Christmas you've ever had when you think, he came to earth. You know, as I prepared these thoughts, you can imagine I've been searching my own heart lately, asking myself, "Do I love you with all my heart?" And it started. It, at first, it felt like a big guilt trip. Nah, no, you don't, you know. But that wasn't God talking. That was my third-grade Sunday school teacher. Nobody liked her. Um, Do I love him with all? And I just started asking the Lord, "Do I?" I love you with all my heart. And then he just started opening up scriptures to me. And, and he says, well, the fact that you're saying that and asking that is really good, Steve. That's really good that that's concerning you, that maybe you don't. And because uh, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the fact that you're saying that is such a good thing. So stop making yourself feel guilty and just enter back into this intimate relationship uh, with me that evidences itself to the point where other people kind of go, wow, you know, he's kind of over the top in love with God. There was this lady that was over the top in love with God. She showed up at a dinner uninvited. Uh, Luke chapter seven. Uh, this this Pharisee uh, just really loved Jesus. He thought he was a great guy. His name was Simon, and he invited Jesus over for dinner. He invited all his Pharisee friends over. They had dinner with this rabbi, and uh, and when you, back then you invite somebody over for dinner, that means a lot, and. Uh, but then this lady walks in, that they all knew who she was, it wasn't that big of a village, and they knew she wasn't the kind of lady that should be touching a man of the cloth, and yet here's this lady, and she's just all over Jesus, and she's crying, and her tears are, are, are falling down on Jesus' feet, and then she's like, oh, and she's, uh, but she's completely ignoring everyone else, and she lets down her hair, and she wipes his feet, and she gets this jar of perfume, and she dumps it on him, and. And these guys are like, whoa, whoa. And they were not having it. And you know, Jesus looked at him and he said, Simon, I have a, uh, I, I want to tell you a story. There was a man and, he, and two people owed him money. And one person owed him 50 bucks. And the other person owed him 50,000 bucks. And the man said, I forgive you both. Now, Simon, I got a question for you. Which one of those two people loved that man the most? And they go, Well, I suppose the guy, $50,000 guy. Exactly, exactly. He says, so I came in here and you didn't anoint my feet and she's done nothing but anoint my feet. I came in here and you didn't cry because you're so happy to see me. She's done nothing but cry. I came in here and you didn't wipe my feet with a towel, she wiped my feet with her hair. You know why, Simon? Why, Lord? Because she owed me 50,000 bucks. And you think you owe me, me 50 bucks. And that's the problem between me and you. Then he looked at the lady and he said, your sins are forgiven, go in peace. And I can imagine what went through Simon's mind. Hey, what about my sins, Lord? You know, I invite you over for dinner, we went through all this trouble. And Jesus is like, you don't think you have any sins? I think that's the beauty of it. Those that have been forgiven much, love the Lord much, and maybe that would be the key for you to get back into loving the Lord with all your heart is if you would just sit with all the buckethead things you have done that he has forgiven you for. How many of you are in this room and God saved you, only, but you only sinned a little bit. It was no big deal for him to save you. You're really a pretty good person already. <laughs> but how many of you would say, oh no, I'm glad I found Cornerstone because even the pastor's a buckethead. Everybody in this group is just a bunch of forgiven sinners walking around going, Can you believe we're going to heaven? Can you believe it? Get back into loving the Lord your God with all your heart this weekend. This week, it's simple, it's not easy, but it's simple. And hopefully, this message has given you some, some things to do to move you in that direction. Father, I thank you so much for each of us. We all come from different places different experiences. But one thing we have in common is that you love us with an everlasting love. And each of us, we wouldn't be here on a beautiful summer day if we didn't want to figure out how to love you too. This is a group of people who wants to love you. And so Lord, we just say, teach us how to love you like you want to be loved. Bring back that intimacy that we had with you once to the point where we see the evidence in our life. Help us to take you with us everywhere we go and talk to you all day long. Help us to quit viewing you in this series of prayer transactions where either we need you to forgive us of a sin or we need you to provide something or this or that. Instead, we just say, hey, God, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I need you. And thank you for being God, but still somehow needing me to love you. That's pretty cool. We love you, Lord. Let's say it together. We love you, Lord. Let's say it again. We love you, Lord. Let's say it again. We love you, Lord. All right, now just sit back and listen to this song.